It's the Rebel Daily. Every day at 12 noon, we live stream. That's 12 noon Eastern. That's 10 a.m. in Mountain Time, for example, or 5 p.m. in Greenwich Mean Time. Um, you know, I used to do a full hour every day, but I don't have time for that. But I want to get my feet wet again. There's so many things to talk about, and some of them, you know, are not serious matters that I would do a whole show on. Like, we've got some serious stuff coming for you today. I've got uh, at my 8 p.m. Eastern paywalled show, I'm going to take you through line by line Jacinda Ardern's terrifying censorship censorship speech that she has um, recently given the United Nations. I don't think it's been properly covered. So that's on, on 8 o'clock tonight. And around the same time, we'll be doing a live stream for the Quebec election. Did you know that Quebec is having a provincial election today? I'm excited about it, not because of the results in, in question. Um, unfortunately, it looks like Francois Legault is going to be returned with the majority government. But the story of the campaign is the rise of, I think, Canada's most interesting freedom-oriented politician. His name is Eric Duhem. He's been a guest on our show before. He's the head of the new uh, Quebec Conservative Party, no official relation to the federal conservatives. And look at this poll. Do you have that poll that I sent you, Olivia? It's en français, but we can figure it out. It's uh, conducted by Main Street. And see if you can put the as big as possible because it's the text is a little bit small. I say again, the incumbent premier will win. He's just going to win, and I'm sorry about that because I think he's been atrocious. I think he had the heaviest hand of any politician in the country. Remember, they put Montreal in a lockdown, a curfew from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. It was illegal to leave your home. For a while, it was actually illegal to walk your dog. For health reasons, your dog had to poop in your house. How gross and sick is that? What a what an obviously unmedical, unlawful uh, curfew measure. No, no court struck it down. They'll put that Put that poll up. I just want to show people here. Um, so you can see on the left-hand side, it says CAC Legault. CAC is the name of the coalition, Avenir Quebec, and Legault is the premier. And you can see the liberals, and then the PQ, that's the Parti Québécois, and QS, that's Quebec Solidaire. But you see it says Conservative, Duhem. That's the new party. So you see that first column there, it says total. So look, Legault's got 41%. More than double the next guy. He's going to get a large majority. There's no denying it. But look at who's in second. It's our friend Eric Duhem, a brand new party. And uh, you can see it's broken down by gender, om et femme. That means men and women. So uh, Legault is more popular amongst women than men. And then look at, look at by age, 16 to 34, the conservatives are very popular, or 18 to 34, excuse me, um, and the Quebec Solidaire is popular too. The conservatives are very popular amongst uh, 30-somethings and 40-somethings, people who actually have to earn a living. In fact, under the age of 50, this new conservative party is the most popular party in Quebec. Now look at why Legault is going to win. Senior citizens in the very top right, more than 60% of them are going to vote for Legault. And you saw the, 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 the gender question as well. Basically, old women, if you're a, every old woman and, mo, and many old men in Quebec, actually most 
old people in Quebec are so afraid of the virus and were so thrilled to be brutally locked down, um, they're all going to vote for Legault. They think he saved their lives. Um, and maybe he did. I don't think so. I think he certainly terrified them. But young people who were not ravaged by this pandemic, who paid the price of the lockdown, if you shut down a business, it doesn't affect a 75-year-old woman who doesn't work. If you shut down a school, that doesn't affect a 75-year-old woman who doesn't work. If you bring in a curfew from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m., that doesn't affect a 75-year-old woman who probably goes to bed at 9 p.m. and wouldn't dream of going out uh, at night. So the old and infirm who were terrified uh, by the, the pandemic and the fear porn of the government love Big Brother. It's just everyone under 50 does it. It's very interesting. Now, I, I say again, um, and, and here's his little campaign, get out the vote. Here's a, a little, yeah, pump up the size of that. Uh, so Eric Drem's his name, young guy, and um, he's freedom-oriented. And I think he's done an amazing job. And I acknowledge that he's not going to win today. In fact, because the size of the uh, lead of the incumbent is so large, um, about 40% of the province says they're going to vote for him. But Legault might wind up getting 75% of the seats, just the way it breaks down. But I think the, the story of the campaign really is this young guy, Eric Duham, who's just run an incredible campaign. So then, let me thanks for letting me tell you about that. Tonight, I will be co-hosting our live stream of the Quebec election with our Quebec reporter, Alexa Lavoie, who is going to be at Eric Duham's headquarters tonight. I'm very excited about it. I don't know a lot about Quebec. I, I admit that. My French is very weak, but I'm excited about Eric Duham, and I'm excited about um, Alexa being there to cover it. So that's one piece of news I wanted to share with you. Um, speaking of lockdowns, I want to show you two stories by Blacklocks. That's one of the few independent media in this country. Um, it's my pinned tweet if, you're, if you need help to find it. Um, there's two stories today in Blacklocks that really, really rung a bell for me. So click on the first one of them. I just want to show, and I won't read the whole thing. Um, I just put it up and you don't even have to, you can log in if you like, but I, I'm really not going to read much more than just the the headline, but go ahead. Yeah, show that one there. The headline is repeal followed bad polling. They have an interesting approach to headlines. It's, they're sort of mysterious. I've read that story and it says that Trudeau dropped the vaccine mandates and the flight requirements, not for medical reasons. It's crystal clear, but because a major government poll with a liberal pollster said, Boss, people really think you're overdoing it. They think you're dividing citizens. They think you're being mean. They think you're being punitive. People are really starting to uh, despise you for this brutal lockdown. And the government knew that and the pollsters knew that. And it was the poll, not, nothing in terms of medicine that made them blink. Um. And was there another link? It's not that no tolerance from hedonism. I'm worried that I might have put the wrong link in there. Yeah, and then can you pump this one up as big as possible? Police and feds given a fail. It's another amazing story. 
by Black Locks, which is one of the few independent media in the country. And it shows, again, the government knew that citizens were shocked and grossed out by the brutal policing that Trudeau invoked. Thanks. And what's my point? My point is that we're learning about this through Black Locks, which, like Rebel News, is independent, doesn't take any money from the government. The government knew what it was doing was deeply unpopular. The government's pollsters said, boss, you're, you're in the wrong track. Get out of this. Get out. Bail out. Bail out. But the government held on as long as they could, probably a year too long. <laughs> they didn't even bring in the lockdowns in places like Florida. But aren't we told every day that the truckers were deeply unpopular and that 90% of Canadians loved the vaccine mandate? Like every single day, not only does Trudeau say that, and Trudeau's job is to lie, whatever. But the media, which showed no skepticism, no curiosity, just repeated that propaganda. But here we have proof, not from some external source, but from two government polls and focus groups and surveys, extremely expensive, detailed opinion research by the liberal government that said what we're doing is deeply unpopular. And yet, if you relied on the media party to understand your world around you, you would think, no, you're crazy for disliking this martial law. You're crazy for thinking maybe Trudeau should have met with the truckers instead of smearing them. You're crazy for thinking everyone doesn't like, you know, people being fired from their jobs for making a private me medical decision. If you believe the media party, you would think that what Trudeau is doing is deeply popular. But the Trudeau government itself knew what it was doing was unpopular. Isn't that incredible? Um, I want to show you just two more things. The first one is a fun one. It's a vehicle. It's a picture snapped in Edmonton. And uh, I've heard of this vehicle going around. Now, can you zoom in as much as you can? into this photo. It's just at a gas station. And <laughs> it says, yeah, just put it up on the screen, that picture of this, of this uh, minivan. Unvaxxed sperm. $2,500. Bring a cup or self-serve. Now, that's very funny and very silly. Uh, or, or is it? Frankly, I mean, obviously, that's that reminds me of those 1970s shirts. I'm a, you know, I'm a bikini inspector or free mustache rides. Like it reminds me of sort of a slightly sexually inappropriate dad joke. That's what it reminds me of. But the reason jokes are funny is there's an underlying truth to them. Here's a guy saying $2,500 for an unvaxxed sperm. Now, we don't, we just simply do not know the long-term effects from, uh, the vaccines, how could we know? It hasn't been long-term. If you can believe it, we're still under an emergency youth use authorization. Otherwise, the drug would be illegal because it's not fully tested yet. Uh, we, we see that um, traces of mRNA show up in mother's milk. They said that wasn't supposed to happen. We see that the mRNA affects uh, women's menstrual cycles. They, they're, this, is, this is not hidden anymore. This is not disparaged as fake news anymore. It's admitted, of course. And you think we're done learning about the long-term effects of mRNA? I have no idea whether or not, um, well, actually we have seen uh, scientific reports that go to sperm count and motility and things like that, words I don't know what they mean, but I probably should. Um, you know, six months, a year ago, you'd 
have your channel canceled on YouTube for mentioning that. Now it's conventional wisdom. How many people lost their accounts or were silenced or fact-checked by the Pfizer liars for even mentioning that? So here's a guy who thinks he can make 2500 bucks uh, per sperm donation, and who knows? Who knows? Uh, I don't know if I would have the chutzpah to put that on my vehicle. Um, I wonder what kind of looks he gets on the highway. I wonder if he has any takers, by the way. Anyways, let's leave those thoughts aside. But I want to close with um, a tweet I put up over the weekend. I just came across it, and I didn't have much to say. Yeah, this is the one here. I pump it up as big as you can. I said, Christia Freeland's World Economic Forum, and I say that because she's on the board of governors there, which is an impossible conflict of interest. Christia Freeland's World Economic Forum proposes personal carbon allowance programs. And as you can see, I link to the World Economic Forum. Do you see that I have a link there? And I quote it. Personal carbon uh, allowance program. So you have like a carbon quota, and once you're out of it, you're out of it. And I, I thought, you know I, you know, I tweet too much. It's a hobby. I tweeted that, and I moved on. Like I literally just tweeted a page of the World Economic Forum's website with like five words in quotes. But if you click on my tweet, go back to my tweet, uh, if you please. Yeah, and pump up that one there. If you click, yeah, click on that one there. What happens when you click on it? Oh, oh, it is coming up. They took it down. They took it, I, I think, did they just put it back up? I think, oh my God. Well, this the story is even more fun now. Because as soon as I tweeted it over the weekend, they deleted it. As I said, they literally deleted the page after I mentioned it. Never trust the World Economic Forum. Never trust Christian Feeland. It was deleted. It said 404 page not found. And this morning it said that because this morning I said to you, Olivia, let's show people. And we found an archive version. And now that I said they deleted it, they literally deleted it. They put it back. I think the World Economic Forum follows, if not this show, I think they follow my Twitter account. I swear to you, after I tweeted that, they took the link down. And and if you went there, it said page not found 404 error. And so then I did my second tweet pointing that out. And I was going to do my show on that. And they put it back up. Oh, my God. What a bunch of shifty folks. Now, I wonder if they made any changes. My carbon, an approach for, scroll down a bit, inclusive and sustainable cities. I'll let you read it for yourself, but be careful that they haven't changed it. While transport and buildings are the major drivers for emissions in cities, the share of individual emissions is significant. Personal carbon allowance programs have had limited success due to a lack of awareness and fair mechanism for tracking emissions. Yet there have been major developments in recent years that could, keep, that could help realize my carbon initiatives. I'm going to go through it and see if they actually deleted things. It wouldn't surprise me if they took it down, made changes to make it less threatening and put it back up. They are shifty liars and you cannot trust them. 
My friends, it's 1220. Thanks for letting me scratch a few itches. Talk to you about a guy selling unvaxxed sperm. Uh, would you trust a guy uh, selling unvaxxed sperm? Who knows? Maybe right now he looks like a bit of a sex maniac or a perv or just someone having a lark. But God forbid in the future that become, uh, you know, you never know. I mean, we simply don't know because we do not know the long-term effects of the mRNA vaccine. I do know this. China does not allow mRNA vaccines in their country. Why is that? Why is China not allowing mRNA vaccines? I'm, I'm open to an ex explanation. That's it for me. I'm going to say goodbye. Let me throw to an ad and let me leave you in the good hands of Sheila Gunn-Reed and Sidney Fizard. All right, everybody, we'll see you tonight. It's, it's the values. You look at Western values in Western society, and these are values we could all relate to, but they're old world values of grit and community and perseverance. It's a place where you can make a living with your back and your hands and a little bit of hard work. And it's a place of opportunity. And I think as Albertans, we're fiercely protective of that. The world's energy crisis has been grabbing newspaper headlines. In a nutshell, we're running short of petroleum resources and the prices are zooming upwards. My colleagues in the government and I have come reluctantly to believe that the price of oil in Canada must go up. This was Alberta. The origin of the Alberta separatist movement begins with the election of Pierre Trudeau as prime minister. It was, it was a deliberate and malicious targeting of the West, which suited Pierre Trudeau just fine, just like it suits Justin Trudeau just fine. Sunny ways, my friends. Blackface. There is an actual hostile government towards Alberta. Why did your dad give everyone in Western Canada the middle finger? Really, in politics, you do have to make uh, big decisions. And whenever you make this big decisions, there's going to be people who agree with it and people who don't disagree with it. Plenty of people want to leave this country. It's not the kind of idea you'd expect to hear from someone who wants to win power and hold power. It's a, it is a radical idea. And you would normalize the discussion and so maybe Alberta wouldn't have to go because maybe the rest of the country and the rest of the world would say, whoa, don't go. Will you accept these changes instead? That's what happened to Quebec. There's no Maple Leafs west of the Manitoba border. Why do we, why do we have a Maple Leaf by unilateral decision on the Canadian flag? Think of how the American colonists were in 1775. That's how a lot of Albertans are today. Hey, Sid, um, I should just let everybody know because there are more showings booked for Ungovernable. And uh, as you saw, I'm in it a little bit. Um, some of my earliest memories are of the economic fallout of the National Energy Program, seeing my worried parents. Um, anyways, Ungovernable, that's our documentary made by Kian Simone. He's our head documentary filmmaker. It's Alberta's Quest for Independence. We've got our live world premiere October 12th at Canyon Meadows Cinemas in Calgary. It's at 7.30. Um, our next showing is October 19th. It's at 6.30, I think the movie starts. Um, it's Or maybe doors open. Anyways, you can get all the information that I don't quite have for you um, at ungovernable.com. 
is it ungovernable.ca? Ungovernable.com. Anyway, um, <laughs> you can uh, you can get uh, ticket details there. Uh, so the next showing is Buffet Royale Carvery. It's dinner and a movie, um, and then Q and A. Um, and we love Buffet Royale because they um, stood down the Chinese consulate when the Chinese consulate showed up to protest a book signing on their doorstep, and their poor customers had to run the gauntlet of uh, pro-CCP protesters on their doorstep to come into the restaurant to enjoy our book signing of uh, Ezra's book, China Virus. And then the next screening is our friends, Church in the Vine, are hosting us April or sorry, October 30th. That's a Sunday, and again, 6.30. So very exciting. It's albertadocumentary.com is where you get tickets for that. Sid, how's it going? Oh, going, uh, going pretty good. And I, you know, I, uh, hearing this news and the, the documentary that we've just seen, um, looking forward to seeing that in theaters. It's it's funny how these issues just keep coming back. It, it's the same problem in many ways, uh, and they just keep on doubling down. Uh, of course, Ottawa and Trudeau, I guess, 2.0, I imagine uh, you could say. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure you would have a, a much deeper knowledge of that. You know, it's uh, it's why there are so many reluctant separatists now. They tried it the other way. You know, there was a rise in separatism sort of before Stephen Harper took power for 10 years, and he extinguished that because back then, Westerners wanted to leave because we never felt like we had been in the country, you know? So then when we got a Western-based prime minister, we were in, but nothing really changed. The equalization formula didn't change. We were still sort of treated as this colony, and then the liberals always get back in, and the problems get worse. So for a lot of Western separatists or Western sovereigntists, however they want to describe themselves, they tried it the other way. And now reluctantly, they feel like nothing's ever going to change until we change this for ourselves. And, and um, you know, the Keynes documentary goes through sort of the roots of Western separatism, what those, pro why there are so many people who are so angry with Ottawa, so much so that even though they are patriotic Canadians, they say there's no other way. Um, and offers some solutions. Um, and I know our uh, young Ottawa-based reporter, William, he watched it and he said he learned a lot. You know, like, you know, surface level why Albertans think they're treated unfairly. But when you dig down deeper and you talk about stuff like jingle mail, how, you know, there was a time in Alberta where so many people were email or emailing, mailing their keys back to the bank that the mail in Alberta would jingle uh, because of, you know, the National Energy Program and, and the spike in interest rates in the wake of that, um, uh, people really don't understand how many lives were ruined by these unfair policies and, and why so many people now say there's only one way forward, and that is on our own. Well, and you and think about the, the price of oil and gas as well, um, and how it seemingly continues to go on the rise. Uh, and many of the people who would promote that, and uh, you know, I could say, I guess, Christy Freeland and other individuals within Trudeau's government, they don't acknowledge the fact that it's not just a number. You know, uh, an X dollar value for a gallon of oil isn't just uh, some capitalist understanding of the value of said merchandise. It also boils down to the food that we put on our tables, the farmers that are supplying that food, the truck drivers who are delivering that food. All of that carries on the, the, the cost of oil as that increases, so does everything else. You know, it's it's funny because the rise in the cost of oil is a very recent development. Not all that long ago, we had negative oil prices here in Alberta, and we were the bad guys then, 
and then price of oil goes up and oh we're the bad guys also then so there's really no way for alberta for a lot of people for this to be resolved unless there's a complete renegotiation of our relationship and confederation and that looks differently for different people and I think Albertans are just sick of not being allowed to have the same conversations that Quebec has perennially. In Quebec, the idea of sovereignty or sovereignty association or complete separatism, it's mainstream. They have an entire culture built around it. Here, we even talk about like, hey, maybe we're getting screwed a little bit. All of a sudden, you're written off as a white supremacist. So even in our disgruntled nature with Confederation, we're treated unfairly compared to our friends in Quebec who have somehow figured this out when we haven't quite yet. Anyway, we should get on to the news of the day. Um, let's, oh, I should tell everybody how they can get involved. So if you want to support the work that we do completely willingly, you can watch us on YouTube. That's fine, but there's censorship platform. Um, you can also watch us on Getter, but there's no opportunity to interact with us. Um, if you want to interact with us, might I suggest you watch us on Rumble, Rumble and Odyssey. And on both of those platforms, you can leave a paid chat. Um, on Odyssey, it's a hyper chat. On Rumble, it's a rant. If it's over $5, we'll read it on air because uh, we're causing a bit of a, a cluster. Um, <laughs> reading all the like $1, $1.50 uh, chats, although we appreciate every little bit and they will make a graphic so that everybody can see your chat on air. And is there some sort of bizarre feedback in my ear or is it, is it everybody? Oh, did we fix that? <laughs> okay. Okay. Are we good? It's fixed on mine end now, Olivia. It sounded like you were vacuuming. <laughs> I was just trying to talk through it, and I didn't want to stop you if you are cleaning. That's a good thing to do. Uh, let's talk about uh, first uh, video, uh, Climate Nonsense, it's titled, uh, on my side. And uh, the UN Secretary for Global Comms, Global Communications, said they own the science on climate change. And I guess by owning it, they mean censoring all opposing viewpoints. Um, and if you have an opposing viewpoint, like I do, where I'm like, I'm pretty sure that um, my SUV is not more responsible for climate change than Bill Gates's jet. But anyways, uh, so they admit fully to censoring the science that's owning the science, I guess. Anyway, um, why don't we show that clip? You know, we partnered with Google, for example. If you Google climate change, you will, at the top of your search, you will get all kinds of UN resources. We started this partnership when we were shocked to see that when we Googled climate change, we were getting incredibly distorted uh, information right at the top. So we, we're becoming much more proactive. Um, you know, we own the science and we think that the world you know, should know it and, and the platforms themselves also do. Um, but again, it's, it's, it is, um, it's, it's a huge, huge challenge that I think all sectors of society need to be very active in. Incredible, <laughs> to say the least. Um, just the fact alone that they're, and they don't call it censorship, right? Um, what they say is that we're working on this promotional material, basically. Owning uh, the science. <laughs> exactly, owning the science. You know, it's our science. We own the science. It's a very a totalitarian approach, I guess, to understanding. It's like, oh, yes, we have this study, and it will never be refuted because we are correct, period, done. Like, it, it's, this is not uh, a dialogue. This is the United Nations, uh, and they are, I, I think, no, no better than 
uh, any politicians. In fact, they're probably worse because nobody voted for them. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? They're probably worse because nobody voted for them. They're completely unaccountable. And yet they're telling you what information you can consume. And if you are somebody who produces content on YouTube where you question the science, which that that's literally science to question things and test your theories, you are completely demonetized. Like our friends at Friends of Science, they never even bothered to try to monetize their work. Um, and good thing is, uh, it didn't matter because YouTube just completely demonetized any content that questions the official narrative, um, much like how they treated COVID, right? Like if you questioned the official narrative on COVID, it just so happens that the COVID skeptics turned out to be right a lot faster than the climate skeptics are because to measure climate, you need to take millennia, sometimes millions of years. Um, and hopefully YouTube won't be around then. Um, but they also slap a warning label on it. If you go to Friends of Science YouTube page right now, underneath all their videos, there's a uh, UN warning label because they question the science behind climate change. And they simply say, you know what? It's probably more likely the sun, which is the largest uh, contributor to climate change, than your SUV. They don't even deny that humans are contributing to climate change because, of course, we exist and we create things around us. Like just by being alive, you affect your environment. They just say it might be that big burning ball of gas in the sky that is affecting the weather every single day. But you can't say that because this lady who only works in communications, she somehow knows more about the science than um, working geologists. Yeah, to say the least. And it's the same kind of science that we saw with, uh, um, and, and this is a bit in disrelation, but the uh, indigenous burial grounds and the revealing of 200. Uh, uh, alleged bodies or uh, around that underneath the ground where they use this uh, uh, geo detection type device. Yeah. Very vague, a very, very weak connection. And, you know, on, on the topic of climate change, it's just, it, it really does amaze me because anytime someone says climate change, it's like, yes, the climate changes. That's the point. I mean, imagine uh, the entire world were just to stay still for an hour or a minute. I mean, that, that would throw things into total dis like, disarray. If the world were to stop turning, if the winds were to stop moving, if the temperature were to stay the same, we would be in a very bad position. Um, and, you know, honestly, thank God for climate change. Thank God that things uh, move like you see a, a river, a natural river. will it, it kind of snakes through the land. And as it goes through, uh, it, it'll kind of clean out the soil. It'll provide more nutrients. Uh, it affects the environment in a positive way. And now what do we do? Well, we put rivers in tubes and expect everything to be fine and dandy. We, we go completely contrary to what nature has presented us with. And then we, we cry foul when it doesn't do what we want it to do. The whole climate change thing is a joke. Sorry, I'm rambling on there. No, no I, I think it's great. Uh, for me, it's just so anti-human because yeah. we are treated by the climate cult, I, I call them, because there are some reasonable people, well, people on the other side, but largely they're a doomsday cult. And they treat us as though we are uh, a parasite, a plague upon the earth, instead of just the highest order of life. You know, there's animals beneath us. We can eat them. They affect their environment too. Ants build hills. We build cities. It's just, we're nature. We're part of nature too. We're at the top, but we're part of nature. And naturally, we affect the environment around us just like everybody else does. But for the climate cult, they think that we need to be 
exterminated and limited while they're trying to save some frog that won't reproduce because it's really important. But they think that there's just too many of us, but they get to choose which one of us get, get to reproduce. And it's not me and it's not you, but it's definitely David Suzuki and his five kids in his beach house. Um, anyways, we should move along. By the way, when David Suzuki moves off the beach, I'll start to take his doom and gloom scenario about the rising oceans more seriously. And when like he there's this famous clip, I don't know if we can dig it up. It doesn't really matter of him talking about humans like maggots. We're maggots, he said, because he's actually not a climatologist. I don't know if you know that, but he's a fruit fly biologist. Um, so probably he knows as much about climate change as this communications lady from from wherever that was. Um, but he has five kids. So he's an anti-natalist depopulationist, but he had five kids. It's just that I can't have five kids because I'm the wrong kind of five kids, right? His are smart. And um, so they're worth the carbon expenditures. They get the carbon credits for life. And I, I'm not. I'm I'm one of the maggots, apparently, for these people. And it's so classist and gross, too. You know, like they're they always say we want to help the developing world. Why? By depopulating it. It's, it feels to me like you don't actually like those people then. And I want them to have electricity and you want them to drop dead. I'm not I'm not sure you like them all that much anyway. You know, I'm just, for some reason, I'm getting flashbacks of the Georgia Guidestones, uh, even though they've been uh, now torn down. <laughs> but yeah. we can, uh, we'll see it another time, perhaps. They dug up my Suzuki clip, and this is this might have been, the first time I saw this, this is like, this is the day I started to dislike hippies. Like, this was the spark. I'm coming around to them again, though. I'm coming around because I think we hold hands on the whole idea of COVID, and that's good enough for me. But this, with the, like, headband, and he just seemed a little bit dirty, and I bet he had bare feet. Um, this was the day I was like, no, those people are not for me. Anyway, anyway, let's roll this. Oh, even the music. <laughs> I think, is this the right clip, guys? You can make mountains ring. Okay. We lost a lot of innocence at that time. But I think there was a serious questioning of what kind of values was this society promulgating, and we didn't like it. One thing that I've gotten off on lately is that basically, you know, I study fruit flies, and I suddenly realized that basically we're all fruit flies. Like you hatch out as a maggot. And a maggot can now crawl around. It's got two dimensions, and it can ingest food at its will and it defecates all over the environment and some other smaller maggots can even eat your defecation and get some nourishment out of it and the bigger you get the more people you can or more maggots you can crush with your weight yeah i mean most people in the world are content to stay as first or second level maggots and they establish their own little area and Exactly what you said, you know, the, the level of maggots. He's a better maggot than you, Sheila. How does that make you feel? He's a better maggot than me. You know, I just, that just looks like the Manson family to me. <laughs> well, <laughs> just well, the I, special circle of hell. <laughs> and it makes me think as well, it's like, you're going to own nothing, you're going to be happy, and you're going to eat bugs. Well, it's, <laughs> what, what is this arrangement we've got going on now? We are bugs and we're going to eat bugs. Maybe it's because that's how much they value us and the quality of our food shows. The quality of the food. Yeah, we can just, yeah, 
yeah, they literally look at us like we're just filth. And he's a better maggot than me. Um, but that's okay because who cares what that gross, gross hypocrite thinks. Um, let's move on to the next thing. Um, I think uh, we have some liberal policies to thank for this on the state of uh, the mental health of farmers in this country. One quarter of Canadian farmers considered suicide in this past year. A research at the University of Guelph revealed that Canadian farmers' mental health worsened during the pandemic at a higher rate than the general population, with one in four saying they felt life was not worth living. Um, let's keep going here. 83% of Canadian farmers, and these are like the toughest people on the planet. 83% um, of Canadian farmers, I don't want to say the toughest people on the planet, but these are not overly emotional people, farmers. I can tell you that. Uh, they had lower levels of resilience from the general population and higher levels of burnout with 76% reporting moderate to high perceived stress. Interesting, while rates of moderate to severe anxiety disorders were slightly higher than average during the pandemic, Canadian farmers were less prone to de depression. Nonetheless, to deal with stress and anxiety, many farmers utilized a variety of coping mechanisms at a higher rate than in the general population, including sleeping more, remaining solitary. Oh, we get out there. How's everyone? Are we are we still alive? Are we still going here? Well, all right. Looks like I'm on. Uh, yeah, do you want to go and add quickly? And then, uh, so we'll, am I talking to the audience right now? I just want to make sure. But yeah, we'll uh, uh, perhaps we'll go to a little ad break uh, and then we'll get Sheila back on here. So I absolutely love having the opportunity to chat with you, to chat with our ever-growing audience. But I'd actually love for you to have that opportunity as well. We actually have advertising opportunities available with rebelnews.com. We don't get handouts from the government. We trust on supporters, viewers, and advertisers like you. So instead of folks listening to me in this spot, they could actually be checking out your company, getting information about your business. For more information or to advertise with us, send an email to ads at rebelnews.com. here for Rebel News. You know, our company is growing quickly and we'd actually like for your company to grow too. That's why 
this ad space that I'm speaking through right now is actually available for you to purchase. So instead of people listening to me, they could actually be learning about your company, learning about your business. If this interests you, if this is an opportunity you'd like to capitalize on, send us an email at ads at rebelnews.com. Sorry about that, everybody. <laughs> no, my Skype failed. I, Elon Musk let me down there for a second. I have Starlink, so usually it's pretty stable out here in the middle of nowhere, but um, it did let me down. Anyway, back to this study. 83% um, of farmers had lower levels of resilience. They've uh, resulted um, in uh, eating more or less, sleeping more, um, self-isolating, blaming themselves, and consuming alcohol. Uh one in four Canadian farmers said they felt their life was not worth living, wished they were dead, or thought of taking their own life at some point during the year prior to the study. Suicide rates among farmers are two times higher than the general Canadian population. My God, if this were happening in any other industry, there would be something done about it, but not because these people are farmers. Because the problem is, who really cares about these people? They don't vote liberal. Uh, they're not social justice warriors. Uh, these are the quiet, resilient, normally people who farm the land, steward the land and grow our food. But this is what constant demonization of what they do and attack and attack and attack from the liberals on everything that they do. This is the fallout, the psychological fallout it has. Um, you know, farmers are largely men. And um, because of that, men, when, and studies have repeatedly shown this, men, when faced with economic fallout, that's when they spiral into depression and suicide. That's why rates of suicide are so high among middle-aged men. And when you have the whole world saying, you're killing the planet by what you're doing, you're using too much nitrogen, your cows are killing the planet. Um, and then you add a carbon tax on top of that and inflation, supply chain breakdown. Um, and then, you know, you as a farmer, you're a price taker, not a price setter. So you have to, no matter what your yield is, no matter what your cost inputs are. So fertilizer, fuel, um, labor, cost of equipment, maintenance, interest rates on your equipment, doesn't matter what your inputs are you can only get the global market price for your for your crop, which means that if inputs are high, you're just barely getting by. And so that's the effect of all these bad policies and this war on agriculture. That's what it's doing to our farmers. And it's terrible. If, Like I said, if this were happening in any other industry, people would be doing something about it. But because these are Western farmers and they really don't vote liberal. Nobody seems to care about them. The fancy ivory tower people, the academics, they don't care about these people. Yeah, to say the least. And honestly, I think being a farmer, that's something that every Canadian should have experience with. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't propose this, but I think it would be a good idea if, you know, uh, you know, there's this uh, idea, you know, you spend a year in military service after you graduate high school. Well, you know, maybe we should be giving people the opportunity to spend a year on a farm uh, because not only do they actually need the help, um, they, they're literally the ones putting food on our tables and this is how they're being treated by our government. And farmers, usually they are, and maybe Sheila, you can speak to this more, a little more independent. They understand that they're the ones who have to get things done. And oftentimes at the end of the day, it's the government who's making that harder and harder and harder. And 
What does that mean? Well, much like uh, the war on energy, I guess you could say the war on oil, uh, all this does is increase our prices at the end of the day for everything in our society. Yeah, it's uh, it's all part of the same war on the West, right? War on oil and gas, war on farmers, and largely. You also have to think about this, and this is something that a lot of people outside of the West don't realize, is that a lot of times the farmers and the rig hands are the exact same people um, because of the nature of the business. So if you work on the rigs, you're trucking maybe, my husband upstairs, um, the spring breakup, so when you can't be on the roads moving heavy equipment, that hits right when you need to put your crop in. And likewise in the fall, when the roads are mucky again and you can't be on the roads, guess what? That comes at the same time as harvest. And so a lot of farmers supplement their income in oil and gas. Now, what do you do when the government has attacked both of those things? What do you think that does to your mental health as a guy who's just trying to hang on to the family farm, feed his kids, maybe have a little bit of money put away for a little bit of fun, and now you're getting hit with interest rates that are out of control on your equipment. I mean, it's just, it's it's a recipe for disaster. And I don't think people really understand how, it's like a unholy convergence of two terrible things, this war on oil and gas and the war on agriculture, which is, I think, a little, it's the war on the West, the um, sort of push against toxic masculinity which is just responsible men being responsible um and it uh it's costing lives it's costing lives yeah. and nobody cares exactly one by one hard-working communities are, are falling to these rules and uh, whatever else well, currently the trudeau uh, regime is putting forward and it, it's absolutely devastating to them uh and even uh, on a societal level it, it, this is one thing where uh, maybe you can fill the gaps that i might miss um when you're growing crops, you have the option of what kind of crop you're going to grow. For the most part, I mean, there's certain things that, you know, you kind of need to be ingrained in, like asparagus, right? Um, but yeah. if if it gets harder and harder and harder to grow these uh, unique crops or crops that aren't the, the standard thing, um, then our diets at the end of the day across North America are going to get worse and worse. Like the three main ones, corn, soy, hay, wheat, or wheat, I guess, for us. Um, this is going to fill our diet because these are the cheapest things to make because our farmers can't afford to make anything that's better than the worst. Well, I'll add to that. There's more use to that. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'll add to that uh, just on um, uh, dumb things Justin Trudeau says and does and how it harms Canadian farmers. Like when he's off parading, let's say he's gone to India. And he uh, parades through that country in all, in all manner of uh, Bollywood style costumes and uh, to the point where the Bollywood stars were saying literally saying Justin Trudeau is more Bollywood than we are that's what they were saying um, he left there and you know what happened Canadian farmers got slapped with a tariff on our pulses so uh, lentils chickpeas um, the things that India buys from us because it's you know, it's cheap protein, it stores well, it ships well, you don't need refrigeration. It's a staple in the Indian diet. Canada is the world's largest exporter of pulses. And we were instantly slapped with a tariff. Justin Trudeau, he's not good at trade deals. We have Christian Freeland sort of in the, yeah, look at higher chickpea tariffs as a result of his trip. He says it wasn't because of that, but it happened like I don't even think his plane was on the ground and we were slapped with pulse tariffs. So now you've got farmers with pulses in the ground already thinking that they're going to have a good year 
And then they've got tariffs now to deal with after the fact, which adds to the cost or it cuts out of their bottom line. Justin Trudeau, we had to, our, our pork farmers had to deal with problems with China. Um, canola, again, canola, it's in the ground. And then all of a sudden, China's not going to take it. And who do we have at the helm to help us steward us through this? Christian Freeland? Give me a break. So there's all these international forces at play where if you had a reasonable grown-up government, you could probably deal with them. But instead, we've got Justin Trudeau. And every time he does something stupid on the international stage, farmers pay the price. For example, right now, Russia is one of the world's largest uh, producers of potash. You know who else is one of the world's largest producers of potash? Saskatchewan. Instead of saying... Okay, you guys don't want to buy your fertilizer from Russia? Great. Let's ramp up production in Saskatchewan. Let's give the world some freedom potash instead of this Russian business, just like how we should with our liquefied natural gas. But instead, Justin Trudeau says, you know what? No, we're going to have a war on uh, fertilizer instead. Instead of saying this is the solution to the world being reliant on Russian potash for fertilizer, we'll just go see our friends in Saskatchewan. Uh, no, he says, no, instead, we're going to have a war on fertilizer, just like, you know, instead of ramping up production of natural gas, getting some LNG exports on the go. No, he says, actually, sorry, no, we're going to move to hydrogen, the non-existent fuel source at this point. It, it's ridiculous. But this is just another thing that people don't realize that farmers are dealing with. So you have your crops in the ground, your piglets in the barn. And then all of a sudden, Justin Trudeau does something stupid and bam, tariffs or China's not taking your product all of a sudden. And that's that's a really perfect point to make. It's like when you're when you're a farmer, it's months into the future, if not the next year or the next couple of years that you're looking into. That's what you're planning for. You're not planning for tomorrow. You know what's going to happen tomorrow. That's already said and done. But then you got Trudeau, you've got Christian Freeland and they come by and they make these snap decisions. And all of a sudden, your whole future is put into question. Yeah. Yeah. All your... Uh, carefully laid plans can be uh, undone by Justin Trudeau namasteing his way through India. It's uh, it's very, very difficult to try to make a living um, when you're subject to, well, you pay the consequences for Justin Trudeau's bad behavior as a farmer over and over and over again. Um, do we have any chats, Olivia? We're getting close to the top of the hour. I think we got a, a C2 here. Uh, you want me to read off the first one? Uh, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, we've $20. Love and appreciate the sanity and common sense brought to us in part by Rebel News. Bless you all. Well, bless our same viewers as well. Um, of course, thank you guys and all of your donations. It's, uh, it, it's what keeps us alive instead of, uh, as we've mentioned a, a few times, Justin Trudeau and his elk. So. And then we've got Yuta Bursi, who kindly taught me how to say her name last week. I appreciate that very much. I was just guessing my way through like two years of you being a regular uh, donor um, in the chats. Anyways, Yuta gives us five bucks and says, love for her to explain how they own the science. I think they own the science in the same way that Pfizer owns the science and Moderna owns the science in that we just won't release anything to the contrary. We just just sort of bury it. And that's the same thing, I guess. When you own the means of communication, I guess you do own the information, right? I guess so. It's the Unless we start handing out pamphlets. 
it's, it's all uh, it's political science. That's uh, you know, if I were to to speculate on that, that's what I would say is it's not a matter of what the the, the charts and graphs say. It's a matter of what they know they can get away with in terms of public opinion. Uh, let's and, go and to Fraser's one. Well, sorry, uh, go ahead. No, sorry, my bad. Uh, let's go. No, that's okay. Let's go to Fraser's thing, and then uh, let's skip ahead because uh, we had some technical problems that maybe delayed the show a little bit. I'm very sorry. Um, but I want to talk about this uh, no tolerance for hedonism story from Black Box Reporter. We'll get to that after I do Fraser's um, because I find it interesting what they describe as hedonism here. And it's not real hedonism, like the things that gross me out. Um, it's like fun. <laughs> anyway, Fraser gives us five bucks. Wow, what a great weekend I had. It was so nice to meet you, Ezra. What a wonderful time we had. Saturday, we held our last picnic of the season. Uh, a wonderful turnout by our Hamilton Freedom Fighters. Sunday at our rally at Hamilton City Hall was again fun. Come visit us, 12 noon, Hamilton City Hall. Fraser's a fight the fines recidivist, and the guy is addicted to protesting at this point. Um, but good for him. <laughs> He's out there every single weekend. No one's going to take Fraser's freedom away. Not on his watch. At least the, he's not going to let them do it uh, easily. Uh, so well, this sure article from... Sorry, sorry, go ahead. Shout out to uh, Efron as well. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, Mr. Monsanto uh, for some of his reporting in Hamilton too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. He was there. That's his hometown, Efron. And uh, he wasn't letting them bother the locals <laughs> at, the, at the beginning of the pandemic efron went home to hamilton every single weekend and he was out there making sure that the police if they were going to harass the freedom fighters there they were going to have to deal with efron sticking a camera in their face so i thought it was great now blacklocks god bless blacklocks they do some great work so this story in blacklocks today uh no tolerance for hedonism now hedonism usually means like gross, uh, morally questionable uh, activities with other people. Normally, I'm just dancing around the things that I want to say. Um, but anyways, the Canadian government described hedonistic pleasure um, as it sounds like going on vacation. So <laughs> Canadian travelers had a duty to swear off, quote, hedonistic pleasure during COVID lockdown, says Ontario Divisional Court. A justice of the peace upheld a $4,500 fine for a woman he called cavalier and selfish for taking a Mexican holiday. Well, interesting. I suppose she should have been the prime minister on a private jet. Anyway, let's keep going. Some did not heed the government's request not to travel outside of Canada and were instead cavalier and selfish in their attitude towards social responsibility. This, again, demonizing the healthy people, uh, wrote Judge Richard Kwan. They did not heed the scientific-based and consequential advice and did travel outside of Canada for hedonistic pleasure. But this is not like hedonistic pleasure. She didn't go to some sort of swingers party. She went to Mexico on vacation where people from all over the world go, including the United States, other first world countries. They go to Mexico, they have a nice tidy vacation, they throw some money into the local Mazatlan economy, and then they come back. And this lady obviously wasn't sick. There's no insinuation here that she's sick at all. She just went on vacation. And this judge didn't like it because he stayed home to stay safe. And uh, by the way, I think it's pretty interesting. More people have died of COVID in 2022 uh, than 2021. And that's weird. Because um, we're all supposed to be vaccinated. And don't you know that the vaccine stops the spread? And it, you, if you get it, you save lives. Well, it doesn't seem to be that way. Um, so uh, it's just, 
how they've painted going on vacation as like some moral failing this what a strange time to be alive and this isn't a court ruling like so i hope this lady's appealing because this judge is very clearly biased yeah yeah it's insulting to say the least to see what this judge has said i mean you know i i'm actually curious how would this judge handle uh the situation around monkeypox. I mean, there was talk that that was a, a pandemic too. I mean, clearly nobody cares. You want anymore. to talk about hedonism? You want to- <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You want to talk about that? You want to talk about stopping some kind of alleged pandemic? Well, maybe let's. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can figure out that one uh, before you start talking about the coronavirus in this way. I mean, to tell uh, to tell somebody it's a hedonistic pleasure. Uh, to go on a vacation. You know, there there's people uh, that weren't allowed to fly to see their dying relatives because of the coronavirus. Was that hedonistic of them to want to yeah. travel to see one of their dying loved ones? Who's to say that she didn't just need a mental break? You know, go to Mexico because things in Canada were chaos. It was a very dark time for a lot of people. And you want to tell somebody while all of the politicians were going off on vacation that a citizen can't because they were disrespecting the government. Meanwhile, the government itself doesn't respect anyone. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, I, no, I, it's it's 100% true. Nobody even knows why this woman left the country. The article says it's a vacation. Maybe it was. Maybe she was visiting a dying relative. Maybe it's nobody's business because this is a free country and these people have Section 6 charter rights and they can come and go however the hell they please, just like our politicians in Alberta. Ours took vacations um, all over Christmas break after telling us how many people we could have in our homes for Christmas. You know, it's just, was it hedonistic for my kids to want to be at my mother's funeral? But they couldn't because there was some sort of limit on our 800 person church that they could only have a dozen people at the funeral. I mean, it's outrageous. Um, and in the end, none of it mattered, did it? Because Justin Trudeau and Joe Biden with their, uh, whatever it is, 11 boosters combined, they're getting sick all over the place. Every time somebody walks past Justin Trudeau with a conservative idea, he comes down with COVID. Um, so what, like, what are you ticketing this lady for? She just literally came home. She wasn't sick. She wasn't anything. She was a 20, here's more details. A 27-year-old woman, you were right, by the way, a 27-year-old Toronto woman who flew to Mexico for a working vacation on December 27th, 2020, just a day after Ontario invoked a province-wide lockdown. So she fled the province, but she was working. The traveler on her return was fined for declining a COVID test at the airport and failing to prepay three nights stay at a quarantine hotel. By the way, those quarantine hotels, what a scam that is and was. When I was listening to our um, no COVID jails court challenge, as it turns out, if you showed up at the airport and presented with symptoms of COVID or faked symptoms of COVID, because I wish people had started pulling that little trick down at the airport. Because if you showed up and you're like, <coughs> pardon me, um, you were, they sent you straight home to quarantine. The COVID jails were only for healthy people to quarantine it. And as it turns out, people were getting COVID in the COVID jails because they would show up with no symptoms, then go there while they waited for their tests to come back. They might get clear of their tests there but then go home and have COVID because they caught it at the hotel. But if you were sick, if you showed up at the airport sick, 
they didn't want you at the COVID jail. You got to go home to quarantine because and science. For, for those who might not be aware, like these COVID hotels, these quarantine facilities, I mean, there, there was sexual molestations that were happening in these buildings. There was people that, uh, because of dietary restrictions, they weren't getting fed. And even if they didn't have any dietary restrictions, the food that they were being given, it was atrocious. It, it was an insult to, to everything you would want to do to somebody if you were going to host them. But what did I they checked do? Well, one of these. Sorry, I just checked. I checked out one of these on our own when we sent our alumnus Key and Bexty into one in Calgary. We flew him out of the country. We said, you're going to Florida to make it worth your while. But <laughs> when you come back, you have to willfully submit to the sausage maker of the COVID jail system. And it was your standard two and a half star Calgary airport hotel. Uh, floors one, two and three or sorry, one, two and four were for just regular travelers. Floor three was yeah. the quarantine one because science. Um, and that was infinitely more expensive than floors one, two, and four for some reason. I guess for the pleasure, you're paying for the pleasure of not being allowed to leave without an escort. Um, but it was, that was like the inflated COVID jail rate was on floor three. Nice work if you're a hotel to get that contract. But everybody else could unwittingly stay at a COVID jail if you stayed on the first, second, and fourth floor. Science. Well, and I even remember, I think there was an individual in Quebec uh, where he was at one point, just, he had had enough, and he was like, I'm leaving. And the security guards were actually preventing him from leaving the facility. Uh, and there was another, I think this was in BC, I'm not sure where, there's so many problems that arose from these uh, quarantine facilities, but there was almost a riot at one of them because of the poor conditions. Uh, it, the, these were a complete disaster zone. And I think, uh, honestly, uh, maybe this isn't fair to say, but with David Menzies, his early reporting on them, uh, I think he really did kind of open that can of worms and the government really had to take a look at it because all of a sudden everyone was aware that people are being confined to these half-baked hotel facilities. And like you mentioned, you know, you've got the COVID patients who are staying there, the, the people who are returning from flights that have to stay in these locked doors, basically. And then you've got regular travelers who are also in these buildings. And I've experienced that. I've been in uh, hotels where, all right, yeah, this floor, you know, you have your room. And then, you know, just don't go on floor X, Y, and Z because those are, you know, off, uh, off yeah. uh, permit. And it's like, okay, great. So now people who are potentially sick are going to mingle in this facility with a bunch of people who certainly have no reason to worry about being sick or anything else. And it's the same thing with the lineups. Uh, when it came to getting vaccination or when it came to the lineups for just testing people. It's like, great, yeah, let's send somebody who's concerned about whether or not they're sick to a line of a thousand people who are also concerned about whether or not they're sick. They're all going to go talk to the same people, uh, probably touch the same doorknobs and whatnot, uh, and then they're going to go home at the end of the day and they're being told that they're less likely to be in danger, less likely to be sick, when we've just exposed them to all of these people and this new environment that they otherwise did not have to go to. You know, one of the greatest examples of this was BC Ferries. At the very beginning of the pandemic, you know what they did? They canceled was... some sailings. <laughs> you remember that? They canceled some sailings. So it's like, okay, well, if you really wanted people to spread out and not get COVID, you would like add sailings, right? So that you could get fewer people on a boat and get them across over to Vancouver Island. But no, they canceled the sailings. So they had like people packed like sardines onto these boats. And I'm like, if you wanted people to get COVID, that's probably what you should do. Um, but yeah, none of it made any sense whatsoever. Just like uh, the Montreal airport, the mayhem that's constantly there um, because of a can at the time. 
if you wanted people to get COVID, that's what you would do. Like it was just like the running of the water buffalo there. It just, people just pile into each other. And it's like, how is this better? Just get rid of this stupid app so people can just breeze through customs, but no. No, anyway. That that, that arrived can app has to go, to say the least. Okay, I think we're, uh, are we all caught up, Olivia? Looks like it there. I don't think we've gotten any more uh, uh, chats okay, at the moment. we got one more coming. Yeah. I think we've got one more coming. Yeah. Um, maybe while they're working on that, we can throw to this story about two more provinces mm-hmm. that are following Alberta's lead and saying we will not uh, deal with the Fed's uh, unnecessary targeting of lawful Canadian gun owners, which is great. So it started with Tyler Shandro. And again, I want to say I appreciate what he's doing for Canadian gun owners, not expending valuable RCMP resources on the most law-abiding sector of the population. I simply wish he felt the same way when he was dealing with law-abiding, otherwise law-abiding Christians. But I witnessed uh, churches being fenced off by RCMP and patrolled weekly by the RCMP. And I thought, you know, what a hope there's no actual crime happening in Alberta. Um, So now he's come around to my way of thinking. I'm going to do my best to extend a little bit of grace. Um, But Saskatchewan and Manitoba have also agreed that they are going to go along with us. So that is the Western Bloc, as they say. Um, BC, unfortunately, they're governed out of uh, Victoria and Vancouver. But, you know, that middle interior part of BC is very Albertan. Uh, very, very Albertan, very Western. And I wonder if the RCMP there are just going to quietly just say, mm, we're nec- we're going to look the other way. I wonder what the liberals are going to do to us because they're not afraid to drop the hammer on political resistors when they're just citizens. I wonder what they're going to do to our governments for standing up. I just wonder. I wonder if they're going to compel the RCMP to rob us. I'm not sure. And uh, this is even including some bolt action rifles as well, right? Yeah. Oh, 410 bird guns. Like I wouldn't shoot a chicken with the 410 and there's a 410 on there. Uh, Airsoft guns. I shoot my kid with those in the backyard. Um, Those are on the list. Like it's just, it's written. If you said Person, a space alien who doesn't know anything about guns or fun. What should we ban? That's what this, uh, that's what it looks like here. And then like handguns, we're the most vetted people in the country to own a handgun. Can't shoot in the backyard. I've got to go to the range and I got to call some jerk and tell him I'm going to the range and ask for his permission. Go straight there, go straight back. Um, and, and yet the liberals think that disarming me is going to help with the gang violence problem in Canada's progressive defund the police kind of cities. I just, I don't, you have to be crazy or dumb to even think that that's effective. So I guess it's dealer's choice, Mendocino. Well, and aren't they even trying to go after, uh, what is it, air rifles, um, the the compressed air ones and stuff like that, even paintball guns? I, maybe not paintball guns, uh, but I remember a story Airsoft. David Menzies yep. a while ago, Airsoft, right, uh, about how they were even uh, at risk, too. These aren't, literally, these aren't even guns. I mean, when was the last time there was a mass shooter who used an airsoft gun? This is not a realistic thing. 
Um, and I think I saw the statistics. Actually, I saw the statistics last week, and I think it was six. Six crimes in the entire country were committed by a replica gun, and that might just have been brandishing it or something minor, right? No, that's the thing. Is there's there's the there's kind of basically two firearm owners. There's the ones who jump through all the government hoops, and then there's the ones who just go on the streets and buy it. And those are the people who are using those weapons in in the ways that we are hoping to avoid. And yet, what does Trudeau do? He goes after the people who've already jumped through all the hoops. Uh, and then there's that doesn't even talk about the problem of 3D printing guns. Um, th these measures, these restrictions that they're putting in place, these are not only are they passe, but they're illogical. Yeah, they don't make any sense. How does my kids' 410 bird gun have anything to do with a gangster who got his gun illegally trafficked across the Canadian border because they don't know how to police the border properly properly. So, and I mean, all of this goes back to, are we dealing with border issues? Uh, because if we dealt with border issues, we wouldn't have the crime caused by illegal guns in Canada's big cities, but Canada's big city mayors want to blame small town Canada for their failings. And that's what this all comes down to. And the liberals are happy to do it because I mean, there's no votes lost by attacking Western firearms enthusiasts. Well, and, and what just happened with the two uh, uh, knife uh, attackers in Saskatchewan? They clearly weren't using guns, yet they were still able to do a very large amount of damage. And it's very unfortunate, uh, that situation, how it unfolded. But nonetheless, if there's somebody out there who's looking to do damage and they don't have access to a firearm, well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news here, but there's a thousand and one ways that you can go about uh, your malicious intentions without a firearm. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever looked at the crime rates in Japan? <laughs> like what they commit with like things other than guns? It's gruesome, yeah. actually. Um, just, yeah, just, you know, they, they picture these like gun free utopian societies. And I'm like, I don't know, There's a lot of stabbing and poisonings happening there too. So, I mean, it is what it is. Anyways, let's get to this last one from Fraser and then we'll wrap the show up because I'm busy and I know you are too. Uh, Fraser McBurney gives us five bucks. Math, never worry about payroll again. 1.6 subs. Just take 5,000 of them. 0.4 times 5,000. 2,000 times 7. 14,000 times 52. 728,000 a year. Have them round up to the nearest dollar. Well from your lips to our subscribers' ears, uh, Fraser McBurney. Um, but this is Rebel News, and we rely on the willing contributions of our viewers and supporters. Unlike the CBC, we won't pick your pocket. We'll just be grateful for whatever little bit that you uh, send our way, because we know you have fewer of it in your pocket than ever before, thanks to Justin Trudeau. Um, I think we're all caught up, Olivia. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, perfect. Um, well, Sid, thanks for a great show. Um, thanks, Olivia, and everybody behind the scenes in the studio in Toronto, but also around the country, working hard to make sure that you can find the show. Uh, thanks to everybody who watched today, and special thanks to everybody who pitched in to keep the lights on. We couldn't do any of what we do without your support. And uh, I think I'm back here tomorrow with David Menzies, probably. And as my friend David always says, stay sane. But that's why they're censoring us. The internet's saying nobody knows who first coined it is. If the situation was hopeless, the propaganda would not be necessary. So 
as negative as things are, we got Bolsonaro, uh, we got Georgia Maroney in, in Italy, we've got uh, the new Canadian leader set to beat Trudeau, uh, who's totally anti-New World Order. I mean, you look all over the world, we are rising right now, but that concerns me because the deep state globalists are going to throw out everything they've got. They're going to pull out all the stops. What are you concerned about? What do you see happening? 